Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It is Valentine's Day, February 14th. First and foremost, I'm sorry it's been been about, I guess it's been exactly a week <clears throat> since we lasted a podcast. And basically what happened is had some family visits, so we had to share the house, didn't have a lot of time, space, or quiet places, actually, to record a podcast. And <clears throat> I've been busy at work, so mix all of that together and add in some long runs, the Super Bowl, some social events, trivia last night. Here we are. <laughs> and I don't know, sometimes it is nice to take a little break from covering all the depressing news out there. And anyways, over the last week, we've seen Trump criticize Nikki Haley's husband for not being around. By the way, he hasn't been around because he <laughs> he is a commissioned officer in the South Carolina Army National Guard, and he's currently serving on active duty as a staff officer in the Horn of Africa with the 218th uh, Maneuver Enhancement Brigade. (laughs) And uh, yeah, again, so we've seen over the last week Trump's just lack of respect, disdain for veterans, serving officials. This is like when he went over to Europe for the anniversary of the end of World War One, and he didn't want to go near the graves because he's like, these are the people that died, and he didn't want to be around, you know, former veterans because he didn't want to be around weak or disabled or people missing limbs. He also, you know, made fun of John McCain for getting captured. So again, we're seeing the same stuff with that. Big, <laughs> big shocker, right? But today, I don't want to talk about Trump too much. I guess I guess I will just mention that he also has talked about how he met with a NATO, the leader of a big NATO country. He wasn't very specific. And of course, this is one of the sir stories where he says they came up to me and said, sir, will you defend us? And Trump's like, well, are you behind on meeting your NATO obligations? And then Trump basically says something to the effect of, well, if you're not paying into NATO enough, I don't care what Russia does. We'll let them walk over whoever they want, and Russia can do whatever they want. Basically, Trump's saying if you don't honor your debts and honor your bills, Russia can do whatever the hell they want, which is ironic coming from a guy who's filed bankruptcy multiple times and is known for not paying his bills. But that's beside the point. I want to talk about the enhanced games, which is basically like the Olympics on steroids, (laughs) literally. I also want to talk about... The, the Democrats winning George Santos's seat in, uh, in New York, which is big news. But first, it is Valentine's Day. <laughs> what I, I would call this a mid-holiday for the older people, below average holiday. I was talking with a co-worker today. We were kind of laughing about how it's just funny how sometimes modern holidays get their cheer. I was also on a run today. The only thing I've done for Valentine's Day today is do a great lunch run and get my heart pumping. Other than that, I'm not a big Valentine's Day guy. Maybe it's because I'm single right now, but whatever. But anyways, I'm not going to give all the lovey-dovey, you know, romance, Cupid, festive cards, chocolate. I'm just, because it's me, (laughs) I'm just going to talk a little bit about... um, why it fascinates me that we celebrate Valentine's Day. Um, <laughs> basically, the Romans celebrate... I, I, think, I think the early version of Valentine's Day must have at some point come from the Romans because from February 13th to the 15th, the Romans celebrated the feast of Lupercalia and they would sacrifice a goat and a dog, and it was pretty dark and violent and bloody because 
they would like abuse women and they would get drunk there would be like orgies it was very sexist not 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 great and then there was a matchmaking lottery in which young men drew the names of women from a jar which is disturbing and then they coupled up for the duration of the festival if the match was right, apparently. So maybe that's where we get some of this. This is all according to NPR, by the way, and and just the Wikipedia page. So I'm not just pulling this out of my ass here. But And NPR also notes that the ancient Romans may also be responsible for the name of our modern day of love. Emperor Claudius II apparently executed two men, both on February 14th, named Valentine. Different years in the 3rd century, but on the same date. And they were kind of martyrs inside of the Catholic Church for committing miracles or whatever you want to say. And it, I guess it seems like over time it went from expelling pagans and brutal sacrifice and sexism to something sweeter. Um, Shakespeare and Chaucer romanticized it in their work. And basically it went from kind of this ancient Roman brutality and very anti-pagan stuff to romantic stuff <laughs> at some point. I, I don't know. I find it interesting that we've gone, that, that we still embrace these type of holidays, but call me a boomer. I don't know. Call me whatever you want, but I, I just find it funny. But anyways, I'm not judging. I hope everyone, who you know, everyone has a good Valentine's Day. Like I said, my day was pretty standard. Um, did get my heart pumping, had some meetings, did eat some Valentine's Day chocolate. So that was, that was good. But other than that, nothing, nothing big. But I, I do love just uh, bringing some morbid darkness into the Valentine's Day stuff. So anyways, let's get on to what I actually want to talk about. So there was a special election in Long Island yesterday. And a guy, Tom Soucy, um, he won it. And basically this is going to help Democrats, Democrats sorry, get a little bit closer to maybe getting back the House majority after losing it in 2022. Basically, look, let's first say that basically I, I never think special elections are too much to look into. They usually have low voter turnout, have a mixed track record of predicting future contests. And from my understanding, also this race, which, by the way, was, was between Mazzy Phillip and Tom Soucy. There was a giant snowstorm that I am assuming would dampen turnout and so... I'm sorry, but anyways, uh, I think the ironic thing here, of course, is that Democratic voters have typically been more likely to vote early, you know, vote by mail, and <laughs> and Republicans probably were more likely to have to show up on Election Day, so the weather could damper that. But anyways, to backtrack a little bit, this is the open seat when George Santos, you know, the lying George Santos, was removed from office. Finally, when Republicans realized he had to go, he was expelled, I guess is the better word. And I think Republicans were hoping they would win this seat in an area that's very purple, historically been kind of back and forth. And yes, this was kind of a test for the GOP and for the DNC and for the Democratic Party as well, just because what we saw here was Mazzy Phillip was... Um, you know, putting a lot of attacks on Joe Biden's handling of immigration and the influx of migrants at the southern border. And and I think they were hoping that could maybe be enough. 
But the problem is, is that I think Democrats, Susie himself, he actually took a firmer stance on the border than a lot of Democrats. Obviously, we've seen New York has had a lot of issues when migrants then ended up being transported by, by, by Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis to New York, and the chaos is now spreading across the country. And so he took a pretty firm stance on the border. But also, I think he was really smart because he attacked his opponent, Mossy, because she actually opposed the bipartisan deal that Senate Republicans ended up, you know, killing last week. And so his point was that it's kind of hard for you guys to vote for Mozzie Billup when basically she is <laughs> saying that Democrats aren't hard on the border, they're not handling immigration correctly, but then she also opposed the bipartisan deal. <laughs> I mean, I think that, that kind of makes sense. Now, now, the thing here is I don't think we should get too excited about this too quickly because, as I said earlier, special House elections are not a good indicator of what's going to happen in 2024's general election. No doubt about it. Also, Susi himself has been very involved in the district there for quite some time. He was a former NASA County executive. He was actually, actually, so, so here's, here's an interesting thing, is that before George Santos won the seat, uh, in, what was it, 2022, um, uh, Susie actually held the House seat for three terms, but he decided to give it up because he ran for governor in 2022. It was unsuccessful, but then Santos was voted in. And obviously, I think you also have to look at how Santos pretty much lied about everything to get elected. And so once voters probably learned about him, his track record, Sam Masi isn't actually serious on immigration, even though she says she is and the Democrats are bad. They probably went the other way. And also, Mozzie Phillip is not very known. I guess she was a county legislator, according to The Atlantic, and her campaign was pretty cautious, and she wasn't really outspoken. She wasn't out there very much. And on the, on the flip side, Susie knows the county well. He's involved in the county. There's name recognition. And <laughs> The Atlantic has a really funny funny section here I just want to read for a second. I think it explains probably one of the reasons why she lost. It writes here in quotes, she agreed to just one debate a few days before the election. And when the Nassau County Republicans held their biggest rally of the campaign in late January, they scheduled it for a Saturday when Philip, who observes Sabbath, you know, the Jewish Sabbath, could not attend. So she couldn't even go to one of the biggest rallies. She was only willing to debate days before the election. And Susie is kind of a big name in the county. So I would say Democrats don't get too excited about this yet because we don't actually know what the ramifications are going to be like down the road, but it is good. <laughs> I think this might, I mean, if I was a Republican strategist, which I'm not, I would probably start going, hey, we probably don't want George Santos types. We probably want to be against that because look what, look what just happened. We had a joke of a congressman for half of his term, basically, who did nothing and made us a mockery. And then the Democrat incumbent before Santos comes back and is back in power. And now the Democrats are closer to taking the House again. Again, who knows if Democrats actually take the House going forward. But the whole thing, I think, is a lesson to Republicans. Of course, they're not going to listen because, I mean, at the end of the day, George Santos was a Trumper and the Republican Party is just now a subsidiary of Trump. So it'll be interesting to see. But it is good that Democrats took back that seat. That's all I can say on that. Anyways, moving on, I want to talk about something that I think is a perfect intersection between sports, the Olympics, generally speaking, economics, and kind of the 
tech bro, anarcho-libertarian movement that's all about free markets and individualism and no regulation. I'll get into it in a minute, but what I want to talk about is the the enhanced games, which is basically like, uh, well, it's kind of a reactionary movement to the Olympics, a reactionary Olympic games, which they call the Olympics of the future, but I would call it the Olympics on steroids, literally, because it's a lot of venture capitalists, libertarians, tech bros, who want to fund basically an alternative to the Olympics where you can use drugs. <laughs> I was uh, I was on my run today and I was listening to a podcast and they just briefly touched on it. So I wanted to kind of do a deep dive because I've been following sports for a long time. I've been following, you know, all the doping scandals that have happened like in the Tour de France and professional biking in general. I don't want to go down that, <laughs> go into that rabbit hole. I don't want to enter that today. But it's a controversial topic. And there are certain countries like Russia that have been highly involved in state sanctioning of said doping campaigns and whatnot. It's a reason why Russia can't compete as an Olympic team right now, but Russians can compete independently. That's a whole other side story here, but the enhanced games it has been seen as very controversial. A lot of health experts and athletes are calling it dangerous and destructive. More of the people like the Elon Musk types are saying, no, this is the future of sports. Follow the science. It probably won't be too long until Joe Rogan has someone on his podcast talking about how good this is. I'm sure Aaron Rodgers will adopt this as well pretty soon and say, like, this is the future, guys. But anyways, basically the idea is that a lot of the, basically the idea of the enhanced games is that a lot of athletes already use some form of performance enhancing drugs. I'd like to see the numbers on that, and I think there's a reason why the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and others do regulate it. But anyways, the idea is that a lot of athletes already use performance-enhancing drugs of some form, so it's time to just let the athletes compete by using the drugs and embrace the science of it and check everyone, regulate it. Basically, it's almost like the argument for why you should legalize all drugs, because if they're regulated and transparent about it, it's safer. And they're saying, well, we're going to hold games where the athletes are going to be getting medical checks, but they can use steroids or whatever else, and they can compete. And the website says here in quotes, backed by the world's top venture capitalists, the enhanced games is the Olympics of the future. When 44% of athletes already use performance enhancements, it's time to safely celebrate science. And I would say the whole organization generally is arguing three things. One, sports can be safer without drug testing, but also doing clear medical checks on the people doing it. The second argument would be athletes in the actual Olympics sometimes are not paid enough. Some go into poverty and the enhanced games will basically pay these people a salary plus awards for winning. And the third argument is that the public sector should be out of this and this should all be about private investment and venture capitalism. And now I would, I would definitely encourage people to check out the website, but just to paint a picture of this, I want to go over some of the people involved in this. So it is founded by a guy named Dr. Aaron De Sosa, who's a PhD. <laughs> he <laughs> led Peter Thiel's successful litigation against Gawker Media which involved wrestler Hulk Hogan. He's the co-founder of Open, which is a venture capital fund. He's a lawyer from Oxford. He's a PhD. 
um, from the University of Melbourne in international inter, sorry geez, I can't speak intellectual property law. He's Australian. Christian um, Angermeyer is uh, the founder of Apirian Investment Group. He's the founder and chairman of Atai Life Sciences, co-founder of Rejuveron Life Sciences, and the chairman and co-founder of Cambrian Biopharma. He's also the advisor for the he's an advisory council member for the uh, for the Academy of Health and Lifespan Research. I'm not going to name all of them because there's a lot. Um, the other um, the other executive operations guy is a doubles champion um, from Bordeaux court tennis. Um, his name is Thomas Rex Dolan. He's a political advisor for the Democratic Labor Party. He's an advisor for Invisible Technologies. He's a secretary for Kensington Palace Gardens Residential Associates. And he's an analyst for Open as well, which is a venture capital fund. What I'm painting here already, I think, is that these are a lot of guys that are <laughs> venture capitalists with a lot of money. There's not a lot of um, sports information going on here. Um, getting into the investors, Christian Angermeyer, again, is one. But Peter Thiel... Co-founder of Founders Fund, co-founder of PayPal, Palantir Technologies, first outside investor in Facebook, big supporter of J.D. Vance, Blake McMaster's, what I would call an anarcho-libertarian, right-wing donor. He's kind of been one of the big financiers of kind of the new right. He's, he's involved in this. Honestly, if, if I, I, I encourage people just to look at these people. Because they all look like they're just headshots out of Silicon Valley's venture capital firms with a few creative assistants and financial advisors and athletes thrown in. Looking at actually some of the medical advisory people, there's one guy, Dr. Kyle Grant. He is a system engineer, a synthetic biologist, and he worked with NASA. He's a biophysicist with King's College London. He was a University of Oxford, a synthetic biology studies guy, did biophysics, physics, God, I can't speak tonight. Basically, this is a guy who would be who you would want if you're studying um, drugs and enhancing drugs being used in sports. Anyways, what I'm saying is that, like, when you hear what this group wants to do and then you just see the people involved, it makes a lot of sense. But anyways, getting back into basically the three things the organization wants to do. Let's start with the money part first. So basically athletes that are going to participate in the enhanced games, I'm still not sure if it's actually going to happen because there's a lot of backlash going on right now. But then at the same time, there's also a lot of money involved in here. So that's going to be interesting. But basically, if athletes participate in this organization, they'll be paid a base salary if they're eligible. And they're also going to get prize money. Of course, it probably won't surprise you guys too much. The exact compensation structure um, is going to be announced in the next few months, so that's not exactly clear. But Enhanced.org, which is obviously the Enhanced Games website, it just talks about how many, Olympi many Olympians do end up in poverty, living in poverty before and after you know, competing in the Olympics, even doing well. And it writes here in quotes, Despite training for years and dedicating their lives and bodies to the Olympic mission, most Olympians are not given a salary. Then it talks about how some are driven into debt. It also talks about how the IOC, again, the Olympic or the International Olympic Committee, doesn't provide monetary rewards to Olympic medalists. It also talks about how, as I'm sure a lot of us are aware, the prize money, the money that someone gets from maybe getting a gold or silver or bronze, 
It comes from the Olympians' home country. And this is one of the interesting things, not to go too like into the weeds on this, but I kind of understand this. I think one could understand why this could be unfair, first off, because some countries like the United States pay their athletes trophy money, reward money, whatever you want to say, if they do well and bring home medals. But you could also think about how there's other countries that maybe don't do that. So say you're winning the the 400, but you're from a country that doesn't really have the resources to pay you, then it could be understandable that like, yeah, you're one of the best in the world, but you're not seeing income or at least payoffs for this, of course. But now I think the idea of this is that in theory, a lot of these professional athletes are already making some form of money or working in other fields. If in some sports like soccer and tennis and basketball, they're doing well. So the Olympics is more seen as a special event. It happens once every four years. And it's more about the prestige rather than the money. So you're coming in not to make your living in the Olympics, but you're coming to represent your country. And it's more about the medals than the money. But I think it depends on the sport. Because if you're like a professional curler, for example, yeah, I'm sure you're not seeing much of a professional lucrative career. Or Nordic skiing, the race I raced in growing up and went to some junior nationals and all of that stuff. It's, it's hard to make a lot of money and you make a lot of your money either from winning, you know, big races in Europe or going to the Olympics and getting sponsorship deals or whatnot. It really depends on the sport. Running kind of in the middle of there as well because stuff like soccer, basketball, tennis, you're making your money in the regular season in wherever you're living and you're just going to the Olympics for the medals and to represent your country. So I kind of wonder if the enhanced games could appeal to maybe the distance runner or the bodybuilder or the curler or whatever else it may be in those type of niche sports where athletes spend their time and money preparing and training and traveling for the Olympics and they need to do well in the Olympics basically to help subsidize their lives. And so if they could be given a base salary with rewards and prize money, it could be seen as lucrative, especially if they're not going to be tested for drugs. And if they are tested for drugs, they're allowed to use the drugs. They just are going to be seen by people that want to make sure it's safe. Anyways, ran aside, enhanced argues, and this is an interesting point, but again, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. It argues that in other sports like tennis, the players that maybe get third place, you know, or lose in the first round, they can bring in way more money, almost double to be exact, the amount of prize money than someone who just gets gold in the Olympics, right? And enhanced website gives the example that the winner of an Olympic gold in the U.S. can get about $37,500. But the semifinalist, which is third place at Wimbledon, can easily bring in over $600,000. Again, I think this comparison is a bit strange and not really accurate because, well, I'll save some of my critiques for later in the episode, but what I will say is that Wimbledon, Australian Open, Roland Garros, the U.S. Open, whatever... They're competitive, regular season tennis tournaments with large payouts. They're not the Olympics. They're not one event every four years. They're an annual event where there's a lot of prize money, a lot of donors, and it's different. It's like Champions League. It's like the Supercopa in, España for Sp- uh, in Spain for soccer. It's different. And again, tennis players still compete in the Olympics. They still compete in kind of the World Cup of tennis as well. 
for barely any money because it's different, because it's about prestige and representing your country. So I think one can understand why this would be alluring again to athletes that maybe are not in team sports, athletes that are not winning these big payout tournaments, and they don't get a lot of money outside of sponsorships. So it's it's alluring. And again, excuse me, you have a lot of a lot of venture capital money basically saying we'll just give you a base salary. So like I I think one thing to put here is that the Olympics is like a four-year prestigious world international event. While Enhanced wants to almost turn this into your job, make you a professional athlete who is actually getting a base salary. I'd like to see them actually come out with the compensation structure here. I'm curious if this is a yearly basis. Do they only pay you every couple years when there's a big games? Like, I'm curious how this structure works, and I guess we'll be finding out soon. So, well, I'll be waiting with bated breath, I'm sure, unless this thing gets shut down. Now, (laughs) the next part of the Enhanced Games is how they want to follow the science, which... To me, a lot of the times when people say this, it's become contradictory, an oxymoron, all of that fun. They also talk about allowing the use of drugs. And I have a lot of very, very strong feelings on this. So, But first, we'll start with just the background. So basically, Enhanced argues that for basically all of human history, athletes have used performance enhancements to either help them reach their full potential or whatever that may be. They talk about ancient Greece, others... I forget the other examples because I was doing a deep dive into this and my brain's mush at this point. But obviously this is true to some extent, so I'm not going to spend my time picking at that. But I want to read some of their thoughts on drugs, some of their main arguments on why it should be allowed. I'm going to read a few different quotes, so bear with me. First one, in quotes here, Only in the past 50 years... Has the advancement of performance science and the professional arts been stifled? Athletes have been forced into a cat and mouse game with drug testing agencies like the WADA, attempting to stay one step ahead of the latest oppressive and invasive testing methodologies. First off, I'm going to stop there and say just the terminology when I go back to them being a venture capitalist, private investment, sort of quasi libertarian funded movement, they're using a lot of terms like invasive and oppressive talking about how the athletes are the victims here. It's the regulatory bodies that are the problem. Anyways, continuing, it writes here, enhanced athletes embrace the human belief in scientific development, ignoring the anti-science stigma. Now, later I'll get into what a lot of the scientists are actually saying. But anyways, another quote they have on here, performance therapy has always been an integral part of human history. Science has always lagged behind humanity's ambitions. Yet the latter half of the 20th century has seen the latest breakthroughs in synthetic biology closeted and stigmatized. Again, a lot of the people on their scientific or medical advisory board have careers in synthetic biology and all of that jazz. They also write in quotes, When used correctly, the inclusion of performance enhancements can have significantly positive effects on the results of training and exercise routines. Simply put, performance enhancement augments the effects of training. Now, I'll get into the quotes of smarter people that criticize this, but what I will say is it's different getting treatment for an injury or helping enhance your well-being for medical reasons. That is different from competing in high-octane, difficult sports, using drugs that have not been tested long enough. The interesting part, though, is that they then quote a 2022 NIH, National Institute of Health paper, for some reason. I'm not 
actually completely, totally sure why, but they quote part of the study, and part of the study they take the quotes from says here, Americans use anabolic androgenic steroids to increase their muscle mass. (laughs) But then I actually linked to the paper, which is called Anabolic Steroid Use Disorder, And it's more about how some people suffer from it and also how sometimes anabolic steroids are misused in training in sports. And the article is less about how it should be used in sports and more about how we need to manage and help people that actually have anabolic steroid use disorder. (laughs) So again, I'm not, it's almost like they just found a quote that sounded good from this article or from this study and then put it in. Anyways, they also discuss how, according to the BBC, 75% of male gym users have considered using steroids. Sweet. Cool. Uh, We're talking about the Olympics, international regulations. We're talking about record setting. We're talking about the integrity of sports. God. They're checking all of, or they're filling all of my bingo cards for like, Silicon Valley, anarcho-libertarian tech bro. Oppression, invasive, no regulation, pro-capital markets, um, male gym bros want to use steroids. Fuck. Um, Then the co-founder who I talked about earlier, Christian Angermeyer, he is quoted as saying, its core mission centers on building a platform that not only improves the safety and fairness of competition, but also stimulates... Um, scientific breakthroughs and nurtures human development. I mean, when I see those stimulate scientific breakthroughs and nurtures human development, do these do they want these guys to be guinea pigs for like a race of superhuman athletes? Because that okay, I'll give you a little spoiler. That is what the critics are saying is like these things haven't been tested long term. It actually could be a problem for health when you're competing in these sports with drugs and steroids that have a lot of adverse side effects. Like. This sounds like a guinea pig experiment with low regulations and a lot of money behind it. Now, getting back to what Enhanced is talking about, there is one part of this that I do kind of find interesting at least. Maybe not totally going in the wrong direction. The website talks about safety, and I want to read this passage because I think it's an interesting argument to be brought up, especially when you look at all these doping scandals we see from cycling to the Olympics to baseball. Um, Let me pull it up here. The website writes here, At the Olympics, athletes are drug tested after each competition. Clearly, the goal of the Olympics drug testing program is to ensure fairness through the threat of punishment for those who use enhancements. There is little concern for safety, as the Olympics has no mandated health testing program. Olympians, 44% of whom have used enhancements in the past year, are able to compete regardless of any uncovered, or sorry, undiscovered health risks. It continues, this is why athletes competing in the enhanced games will receive a free medical screening prior to competition, which will ensure that they are healthy and able to compete. The screening will involve an echocardiogram, blood tests, and and genomic sequencing in order to build up a full picture of the athlete's health and allow athletes to make an informed decision about whether they are safe to compete. And then I guess if you are given these results and you're safe to compete, then you can use whatever fucking drugs you want, which we don't know the long-term effects for. That's, I think, what it is. But I think it does bring up an interesting point about just the whole chaos of testing, which is, again, I don't agree with this. I think you guys are pretty, pretty clear at this point that I am not for the enhanced games. But I do think it's clear that in the Olympics, because of kind of the chaotic testing procedure 
and how go- some governments do sanction doping, people are always chasing the next drug to be able to evade testing because if they're testing for one thing, maybe there's a government with its best biologists and synthetic biologists on the job trying to find something better. I mean, that, that doesn't escape me that that's an issue. But again, I don't think the enhanced games are the solution. And as it's pretty clear now, I am definitely not a fan of the enhanced games. Though in general, I find this to be a fascinating just sociological experiment in a lot of ways. And I guess a biological experiment in a lot of ways. So anyways, I, I've talked about the science and the drugs, which is one of their arguments. I've talked about paying the athletes, which is their second argument. Now I want to quickly talk about capital and private investment and kind of anti-public sentiment inside of this organization. So again, I've talked about how this is this does feel like it's mainly funded by tech bro, libertarian, Silicon Valley types, and it's backed by billionaires and the world's leading venture capital firms. And it also talks about the inherent wastefulness of the Olympic movement. Again, all just freaking out of the libertarian anarcho-libertarian, you know, handbook. But anyways, I found this section really interested. Interesting, Jesus. It, It writes here in quotes, because the games have been designed by athletes for athletes, athletes' right are central to our decision making, which is why we have a fair remuneration structure and are protecting our athletes' right to bodily autonomy. Full details of the compensation structure will be announced in 2024. After all, if it's your body, it should be your choice. This sounds a lot like the vaccine stuff in a sense as well. By the way, like the, the same people that are anti-abortion are all of a sudden backing the anti-vaccine movement saying, well, this is my body, my choice. I'm not going to take the jab. Also, because this is solely funded by the private, stru- uh, the, the private sector, you also find a lot of interesting language in this section of kind of their charter and their guiding documents for what they want to do. They talk about rejecting the kleptocracy of nonprofit sports federations. And as you guys know, I've done numerous episodes criticizing FIFA. I've done a few episodes criticizing the Olympic International or the International Olympic Committee. I do think there's a lot of problems with them. But Enhanced Games is privately funded. It's a privately funded for-profit organization. And basically, Enhanced wants to be like Formula One, where it's able to raise private capital to pay its athletes and fund the games. I'm not totally against that part, but the incentive structure and just the lack of adhering to basically the international community that does actually probably know a lot about the health issues with some of these drugs, ignoring those, does worry me. So... Then they also talk about how their main goal is to break records. And this is the first big question that I struggle with. What happens to actually understanding what a record means? Do we just completely ignore records when maybe you have someone who's not enhanced now losing their record to someone who is enhanced, that is on supplements, is on drugs, Like, does it even mean the same to break a record if now you're enhanced? You're an enhanced athlete? I mean, does the idea of the the record in general just get thrown out the door? Or do you have different sets of records for enhanced versus traditional athletes who don't want to do it? Or does it completely just break down the idea of what does it mean to be enhanced? Because it just seems like all this is going to become arbitrary. And the idea of winning in competition, it's all going to be vague. And it's going to restructure everything that we currently know about this. So anyways, 
Now I want to go over some of the criticisms real quickly. I know we're going a little bit long, but The Guardian has a really good article. And basically, it just talks about how there is a huge backlash from the mainstream and the sporting community and sports doctors, pretty much everyone you would expect. The sport integrity... Um, sorry, let me say that again. The Sport Integrity Australia Education Director, that is not an easy thing to say, Lex Cooper, he says in quotes, even if drugs have been approved for legitimate medical treatments, using them outside those parameters can be downright dangerous. That's something I kind of alluded to earlier. He also says that many of the substances in use have not been, have not made it through clinical trial tests at all. So that's troubling. Also, someone else said in quotes, they often get canceled in phase one or two because they cause tumors or cancers. They're dangerous because of the side effects, but we have no idea about the long-term effects. So it's really scary and dangerous. And even one of the sports podcasts I listened to, the guys were just chatting about this and they're like, yeah, it's an interesting idea. It's kind of a funny idea, but actually the health ramifications of this could be pretty serious and pretty dangerous. And the safety of athletes is not at play here. So even as Enhanced Games is saying, oh, yeah, we're all about science and safety and creating the evolutionary track for better athletes and more efficient athletes, a lot of these steroids that are used can lead to tumors and cancers, and those are just the short-term effects, just the dangerous side effects even. And the the, the UK Anti-Doping Agency said such a competition would be unsafe, dangerous to athletes' health, and well-being in the in the face of fair play. Drug-free New Zealand said in quotes, it had no practical likelihood of implementation or success and was dangerous and unethical. And and I think the ethics do play into this as well. Because I've talked about how this is the idea of kind of seeing what happens. Telling athletes because I I do genuinely think the enhanced games has enough money behind them that they would actually do a fully comprehensive medical analysis of each athlete and let them know if they have any pre-existing conditions, let them know about their overall health. But then they're going to allow them to basically be a guinea pig for an enhancing drug that could have some really dangerous effects. And I don't know if that's ethical to basically say, okay, you're healthy, so why don't we let you use this and see what happens. Now, (laughs) there's a guy, James Magnuson, And I guess, um, according to The Guardian, Enhanced has said they would give him a $1 million check if he can break the 50-meter freestyle world record at the Enhanced Games. The founder of, of Enhanced said, in quotes, the first enhanced athlete to publicly break Usain Bolt's world record will also get at least $1 million U.S. (laughs) dollars. Again, is he really breaking the record if it's enhanced? Again, there's just... That's why I wanted to talk about this. There are just so many ethical, moral, economic, political, socio-cultural dynamics to this. And then you put sports on top of it. Uh, It's really interesting. And The Guardian doesn't really seem to think this is actually going to happen. I wonder... In this world, in, like in this world we live in, I kind of think it might happen, but I just wonder how many athletes are going to want to do it. Again, if you're one of the athletes in like weightlifting or track and field or curling, whatever else we have, rock climbing, and maybe you're not seeing a career check, you're not you know win, winning Wimbledon's, you're not a soccer player winning Champions League, 
whatever else it may be. You're not, you know, Michael Phelps who can just make money off of endorsements. Maybe this is appealing to you, but just the ethical side of this really worries me. So anyways, let's get out of here. And also, I guess I'll just add, anything Peter Thiel is backing in this age, I always am hesitant. Maybe that's just my personal bias, but that's where I'm at. So anyways, let's get out of here. As always, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. Have a great rest of your night, and we'll see you soon. Bye.